Mm-mm. Title this morning is The Glory Has Returned. Um, we'll get to that in just a moment. Just uh, want to let you know, last week, Kim and I were able to go to Grace Community Church in uh, Corning, New York. And uh, I think we've got a picture. So that's their pastor, Alan, and his wife, Janice. Uh, Snap, they are a Grace Partnership Church. Uh, Corning, New York. Uh, anybody been there? All right, a few. It's beautiful. Uh, I recommend it. If you go there, go to Grace Community Church. And uh, uh, I think the last picture we'll have up there is uh, one of our members uh, lives about three hours away. They snowbird. And so that's Dave and Cricket. If you guys remember them, they're usually sitting where Tim and Kimberly are. So you guys will have to fight in a couple weeks because they're coming. They're coming. They're coming back south here real soon. Um, Dave and Cricket. And uh, so Dave and Cricket brought another couple with them. Uh, on Saturday, we did a marriage conference, um, and they also brought their pastor and his wife. And so we just had a great time um, meeting meeting old folks, meeting new folks, and all the rest. So um, if you would, just be in prayer for Grace Community Church. Coming out of COVID, it's just been quite a struggle for them as a body. And so it was really good to be there, and I trust um, be able to, to encourage them. You know, whenever Hollywood hits on a good movie, um, you can almost be sure there'll be a sequel. Um, you know, whether it was planned or not, sometimes the sequel is just to profit off of us viewers. Um, and in my opinion, usually the second movie, when that's the case, usually the second movie is not as good as the first, right? They're just trying to make a few extra dollars on the previous movie. Um, at other times, it's to finish the story. And I can appreciate that, right? Where we want to get to, all right, what's the rest of the story? Bring it to conclusion. And that's really the case here in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel. Now, in saying that, I don't want to trivialize chapter 6 by comparing it to a Hollywood movie. Hollywood doesn't begin to compare with what we have here in chapter 6. But I mention it to say, you need to have last week's message in mind as we're preaching this week. All right, so there's a, there's a context to what we're preaching this morning, and uh, so I, I hope. Well, I brought a quote from last week from Christian's sermon. I, I want this ringing in our ears. Christian said, "If we have an unbalanced view of God, we may end up worshiping a God of our own making, and not the God of the Bible." You see, we know that God is love, and the Bible tells us that much. Our God is love, but the Bible also tells us that God is holy. So today is the sequel. It's the part two. And that's the backdrop to what I'm preaching this morning. It's that God is awesome, glorious, uncomparable, dreadful, awesome, humbling, worshipful, overwhelming, The holiness of God was last week's sermon. In chapter 6, there's two arc episodes, right? One episode, preached last week, ends in death and the king's grief. David is grieving. The other episode ends in joyful worship. Two arc episodes 
don't dismiss one or the other. You've got to hear them both in the context. The first episode shows us the transcendence of God. How unlike we are to God. The awe and holiness of God and man's contempt towards his holiness. That was last week. Flippant worship. The second episode shows us the nearness of God. Due to careful observation and sacrifice, there is this response of joyful worship. So that's our setup for our sermon this morning. Let's pause and pray. Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. How is it that unholy people like us find ourselves here now worshiping you. Only by the blood of your son, his life, death, resurrection, Lord, do we come this morning and worship you. Lord, help us to have a full view of who you are. Lord, we don't want to isolate one of your attributes from another. Lord, you are a holy God, and you are a merciful God at the same time. Lord, unpack your word to your church this morning. May we not simply be hearers of it, but doers. May may there be a response in our hearts, not someday in the future, not someday down the road, but today. May we respond to your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm only going to make two points this morning. The first one is God's presence brings joy. And that's verses 11 through 19. So again, last week, Christians preaching on the familiarity that Uzzah had with the ark, or he likely had with the ark. And familiarity breeds contempt so often. It's not just that Uzzah reached out to capture the ark, it's... It's, it's that God was nothing. The holiness of God was nothing to, to Uzzah. He's overly comfortable, overly familiar. And this week, if that wasn't a surprise, we're introduced to a new surprise this week. On the one hand, you've got Uzzah last week. On this week, you've got Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom is a Gittite. Meaning he's nothing like Uzzah. Meaning his upbringing was nothing like. There's nothing familiar about the ark to Obed-Edom. Uzzah grew up knowing about God. He, for a time, a period of time, he lived around the ark. It was, it was near. And yet he had a low view of God. You know, we can, we can attend here weekly. We can... We can be grown up but still be church kids, right? We can have this familiarity that breeds a contempt to the things that are holy, the holiness of God. Well, that's not Obed-Edom. He's a stranger. He's a Gittite. You know what that is? He's a Philistine. He's distant. Uzzah was near. Obed-Edom is distant. Stranger, distant foreigner. And yet, he's brought near. Close. 
to the things of God. Uzzah died mishandling the ark. And we ought to be kind of asking the question as you move on through the chapter and you get to verse 11, how's it going to go for the Philistine guy? If that's what happens to the guy who grew up, let's just say, grew up in the church, how's it going to go for this guy? Well, again, in verse 11, And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And that should jump off the page to us and kind of shock us a little bit. And we should go, huh? He's blessed, which is going to be the theme throughout the rest of this chapter. Everybody's blessed minus one. We'll get to that later. Verse 12 again, and it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. So for David, there's this report, and then there's this immediate response from the report. And there's a sense here of, let's try this again. The last time we attempted to bring the ark, uh, we failed. But let's do it right this time. And so you get more information. If you, later on, you can read 1 Chronicles 15 and the, the account there. Verse 2, it tells us, um, David is saying, no one but a Levite carries the ark. All right, so David has learned from the previous episode uh he's 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 basically setting things there'll be no sloppy serving first chronicles 15 again it shows us there's going to be cleansing that takes place as they're carrying the ark through sacrifice and we see that there in first samuel as well because the law had told them this is how you're to handle the ark which represents god's presence this is this is the lord's presence represented here and so um david is saying we're, we're going to bring the ark this time through sacrifice right cleansing because god's holy what's being said is here is we're not going to presume upon the presence of the lord we're not going to just march in there flippantly and think I can handle the ark. I've got this, right? I'm clean enough. We want to presume that upon the Lord. I'm clean enough to handle the ark. This is, this is how people often approach the Lord today. We're not talking about thousands of years, years ago. We're talking about today. We presume upon the Lord. I'm clean enough. I'm good enough. It's the sentiment of our culture that all of us one day will be in heaven because, well, for peace's sakes, I'm good enough. David learned, and so they are sacrificing as they go. Now, the Old Testament sacrifice was a reminder of man's sinfulness and God's holiness. That a holy God should not be approached flippantly. That we come before the Lord, well, trembling. And so death was a requirement for their sin. And so 
the ox would be sacrificed or the goat or the, the lamb would be sacrificed for sin. It was a sacrificial atonement being made. It didn't erase humanity's sin. They still sinned. More sacrifices continued to be needed. So David is wisely, he's sacrificing all the way home. A sacrifice was a substitution. The sinner didn't die. Something else died. An innocent animal actually died for the sins of the people so that the guilty one was set free. There was a transfer, if you will. And so the innocent was sacrificed and killed and the guilty was set free and lived. The sins of the people, there's a sense that the sins of the people are being placed on the sacrificed animal. And as you can imagine, the Old Testament is so woefully incomplete. Those sacrifices could only take things so far. There remained this, if you will, like this Old Testament longing We need a better sacrifice. It's all we have. We sinned again. More sacrifices need to be made. We need a better sacrifice. So David is here along the way. He's making sacrifices, recognizing we're unclean. We can't be in the presence of God. This ark represents the presence of God. We we are unclean. We need to make sacrifices. We don't want to carry this ark flippantly again. We come into his presence through the blood of a sacrificed animal. And as they go, clearly, God is pleased. Sacrificial atonement is being made. Everyone in the rest of the chapter remains alive. In some sense, we should be shocked. They're in the presence of the Lord and they remain alive. And what happens from there, because of that, joy is leaping off the pages of the rest of the chapter. David is exuberant in his worship. Why? Because no one's dying. God is accepting their sacrifices. So praise be to God, worship him. How much more for us this morning who come into the presence of the Lord? None of us are making sacrifices today. We're not going to slaughter an innocent lamb today because the innocent lamb has already been slaughtered. We come into the presence of the Lord. Please help us, Lord. Not flippantly, but aware. It's because sacrifice has been made, a substitution has been made, that we're even allowed to sing a single note with any joy whatsoever is because of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. No animal's blood will be spilled today. No need for that today. The Old Testament cries out, We need a better sacrifice. 
Let's sacrifice another one. We need a better, let's sacrifice another one. It's not until Christ comes who is the better sacrifice. And in Christ, Hebrews tells us, no more sacrifices are needed. He's the one sacrifice. 1 Peter 3, 18 tells us like this, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us, what? what is that? Presence. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. And David gets it. He knows that this was once glory. The Ark of the Covenant was glory, and the glory has departed. Remember back in 1 Samuel, we preached it probably close to a year ago. It's a long ways back there, but remember in 1 Samuel, early parts of that book, the ark was captured. Remember, Eli falls over dead. His sons died in the battle. And one of the, one of the wives of the sons is giving birth. You remember? Some of you remember. Just humor me. Just pretend. Even if you forgot, just humor me. What does she do? As she dies giving birth, she names her child Ichabod. The glory has departed. Why did she say that? Because the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, glory. Glory gone. Glory departed. What's happening here for David? Why is there so much joy? Glory is returned to Israel. The, and it's not just simply this box. It represents the presence of the Lord is returning to his people. Praise him. That's what's going on here for David. I feel like we've got an advantage over David and the Old Testament saints. We look back. This is David. This is the Old Testament saint. We look back through the grid of the cross. I feel like we have such a benefit. We, we look back to the glory of Emmanuel, God with us. That was, that's Isaiah. That's on the other side of the cross saying that. What an advantage. Here we are. We're, Christmas coming. I know some of you, you know, don't, don't get angry with me. It just is, all right? And I like to celebrate it, so chill out. No, but we get, to, we get to think about that, Emmanuel, God with us through the grid of the cross. Presence. We live in the greater glory, this side of the cross. We know Jesus and we know his sacrifice. How joyful is it, church, that we get to gather together week after week and worship him. David didn't know nearly what you know. And here's the thing. I can come and yawn. I can come. We can be in the middle of singing worship. I can be distracted. I can be singing, I mean, thinking about silly things. You can decide to stay home, perhaps just chill a little bit, need to chill. It concerns me. Am I, verse 1 through 10, overly familiar with the presence of God? 
even contemptible? Or am I, are we, verses 11 through 23, hearts that are filled with joy because the glory of God is here. John 1, 14 puts it like this. And the word became flesh, speaking of Jesus, took on human flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt there is the word tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. It was, it was John bringing some Old Testament, if you will, to these guys. He's saying that what is a ta- the tabernacle was the presence of the Lord and the tabernacle was in the, in around or in front of the, the, actually the people were around the tabernacle. It was the presence of God among the people. And what John's saying here, the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Praise be to God. The world might find your worship ridiculous. I don't really care. We worship not for the world's approval, but for our God whose presence has been given to us through nothing less than the sacrificial blood of Jesus. You might be new. You might be new here. You might be at different times. We'll sing songs. It talks about the Lamb of God. Sometimes I wonder, what, what is someone who doesn't maybe spend time in the word of God. What do they think when they're hearing Jesus, the lamb of God? What? That's what it's talking about. He's our sacrificial atonement. He is the lamb who laid down his life. We're going to be celebrating that in a few moments. If you haven't gotten your communion elements, please, you can get up and find that over here. We're less than three months from Christmas. We will celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. But here's the thing. That's not a once a year theme. That's not something that we do during Advent. Praise be to God. Emmanuel, God with us today. And so the the first Chronicles 15 account says this. David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. Uh, Get the singers and get the musicians, strike up the band, and let's get loud. That's what's going on here. And I've said to us many times, you know, the Psalms and Revelation, they're loud books. They're loud books. Now, we don't want to be loud just to be loud, but There's just a sense of celebration and rejoicing jumping off the page. And so verse 14, back in our text this morning, David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And it tells us here that he he danced before the Lord the Lord. It's appropriate and is in its exuberance. It's appropriate, if I could say, in its extremes, because David understands the glory of God is returning to the people. What else should he respond with? David is not here performing. He's free from thinking about what others are thinking about me. His only concerns, one concern, single vision, one Focused, single 
passion, not a performance, but a responsive joy. It's not excessive. This is him and his God. Why he is dancing? Again, because the presence of the Lord is returning to Jerusalem, to the people of God. It tells us that he wore an ephod. These are priestly garments. The king is expressing his humility in doing so. He does not come saying, look at me, I'm dressed kingly. He's not dressed kingly. He's not coming with pomp and majestic garments. He's dressed humbly and he's dancing. And I know, I get it. We all have a decorum about us, right? A certain level of calm or, or you know, we might say, you know, I'm not really the clapping sort. I just want to stand here and look good in front of all the other people. A decorum. I'm not really the lifting hands sort. I would prefer those who shout while singing. I would prefer that they would stop that. I'm not really comfortable with that. We all have an idea, right, of what's appropriate and where our line is and what's appropriate. Or um, we have an idea of this is the way I like it. This is, the, this is the way I'm comfortable with it. This makes me feel comfortable. You know, you might be a very formal and everything calm and quiet. And some of you might be just kind of extreme, and, you know, like, yeah. So we all have a level of comfort. David throws caution to the wind and he rejoices because the presence of God has come. It's not verses 1 and one through 10 or verses 11 through 23. It's both. We worship a holy God. So this second half of the chapter is an incredible day of worship, of rejoicing. They knew it. The glory had departed. The glory has returned. The holiness of God. All of that in verses 1 through 10. The presence of God was drawing near to them again. So verse 16. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. We're going to come back to that in a few moments. Verse 18, and when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, cake of bread, portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his own to his house. And so here David, the king, he's blessing the people. Blessings are flowing. Blessings flow in the presence of the Lord. And so blessings are flowing. And that's the rhythm of these verses. You have sacrifice, you have offerings, you have celebration, you have blessings. The glory of the Lord has come. In Trinity, we rejoice today. We don't make sacrifices. We place our faith in him who came as the final sacrifice. And that's why you can find us rejoicing today. We are the blessed people of God because Christ came and he became our sacrifice and the people praise him. Again, we won't be making any 
any sacrifices today. Wouldn't that be weird? But we, we will be rejoicing. And that's not weird. Because Christ is our sacrifice. And we now have the presence of God with us. Glory returned. So David returns home to bless his home. Psalm 84 records for, by David, David wrote, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I don't need to be the king. That's what he's saying. I'll, I'll be the doorkeeper. Just give me your presence. Point number two. Well, point number one, God's presence brings joy. Point number two, God's presence brings division. In all the joy, in all the sacrifices being made, the presence of the Lord is here, and yet there's this division in the chapter. And it's not division from out there. It's not an attack by an enemy. It's division that comes from within. Within his own house, there's division. The story of Michael and David is not a story of romance. Be careful how we read our Bibles. We don't want to read Americanism into our Bibles, okay? And so I, I don't know, you know, the, the love side of their story, but I, I, I only know what we know from Scripture. And Michael was given to David. He, he, she was his prize for killing Goliath. And go back there to 1 Samuel 18 for that. He kills Goliath. Saul the king says, you can have my daughter, Michael. We don't know. How does she feel about that? Don't know if I want to be the prize to this guy. Well, we go on from there. Um, she, she was the prize, but the king changed his mind and he gave her to someone else. Now she's someone else's husband. Remember in 2 Samuel chapter 3, David requests of Abner, I want her back. I want her back. And so Abner, Ishbosheth, they make that happen. Remember, she's torn away from her husband. Uh, We find like a sense of her husband's like on his knees crying is the feel of it. But I want her back. Probably not because of romance. Like, I've just missed you all these years. Probably out of politic. It was just politically wise. The kingdom is divided. I need to have one of, one of Saul's family. It's his daughter on my side. Because we're going to unite the kingdom. So, who knows? But at this point, Maybe some of that history has her despising him in her heart. She says in verse 20, listen to how she puts it in the third person. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today. You call yourself a king? Where's your dignity? Where's your majesty? Where's your your kingliness? My dad would have never been found doing that. 
He knew how to look the part of a king. David would rather appear foolish as a worshiper of God than to be held in high esteem. She's saying, you're a joke of a king and I'm your wife. I don't claim to get all that's going on here with the ephod, appropriate decorum. But I do see what's being said to us. And it's that she entirely missed the point. She completely misses what's going on here. The glory of the Lord has returned. And she's focused on image and decorum and, and perceptions. And she's missing, she's missing out on what has actually happened. The presence of God is here. The glory of God returned. It might remind us of Pharisees in the New Testament. They missed the fact that the son of the living God was right there before them. They were more concerned about the letter of the law, how Jesus was acting among the peoples, his activity. If you only knew who it was that you were talking to, what kind of sinner she is, you wouldn't be caught dead speaking with her. Well, Michael, the the daughter of Saul, Saul cared about what the people thought of him, not what God thought of him. And so we have this division. Verse 21, and David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. Wow. Boy, that's some marital stuff, huh? Like what's going on there in that house? As odd as this is, maybe we should consult the other wives, right? Like this is just... Weird stuff. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. Psalm 84. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. David's saying, I wasn't dancing for you. I wasn't dancing for them. I was dancing before the Lord. See, David was a better king. Michael still represents the people, right, who wanted a king like the other nations. And so she's saying, what kind of king are you? And the people of Jesus' day asked the same thing. What kind of king are you? You Call yourself a king? Well, Jesus is the kind of king who... Philippians 2, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What kind of king does that? The kind who would allow himself to be before the mockery to take a crown of thorns, to be stripped bare, to be hung on a cross before a jeering crowd. From day one, we know that David didn't have the look of a king. He doesn't have the appearance. He was a ruddy shepherd boy, we're told. And Isaiah prophesied of the coming king, Jesus, when he said, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. There's division here in the text. In the king's own household. And there's division here today. In the room. Perhaps you're here this morning and you would be like Michael. You you reject the king. What kind of king is that? What kind of king would come and allow himself to be crucified? Doesn't sound very kingly. Doesn't sound very powerful. Do you despise him in your heart? Because he doesn't fit into what you think a king should be. In our text, one person is humble and responsive and full of joy. And one person is hardened and rejecting. And so the chapter ends in verse 23, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Remember earlier I said everybody's being blessed minus one. The presence of the Lord is here. The king is just passing out blessings and making sure everybody's taken care of. If you would, hold your communion elements and the worship team can join me on the platform. This represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It is not the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. His body was broken. Sacrificial lamb. Crucified. That you would be here this morning. That you would say with any amount of emphasis at all i love you lord it's because his body was broken to bring you to himself his blood was spilled to forgive you of your sins of my sins if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of jesus christ we ask you Please pass on the elements. It literally represents in the sacrificial blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. We now, Hebrews tells us, draw near to the throne of grace. So many things could be said, but to eat of this and drink of this as an unbeliever it's 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 contempt and just to plead with you 
If your heart is not right with the Lord, pass on the elements. We're not here to judge you for that. We're not here to make you feel awkward for that. We're just here to follow Scripture. If you're here this morning and you're taking of the elements, oh my. Such an easy category for us to do so with just complete familiarity and contempt. Such an easy thing. It's just such a regular thing. It's so easily done without thought. Oh, let us pause and consider what it is that we're doing this morning. The glory has returned. Praise be to God. We get to come here and receive communion together. We get to celebrate and worship Him. Ah, for those who are watching via our live stream, we want to invite you. If you're healthy and well and you're near to this church, please come. Please come to a local church. If you're out of state, out of country, watching from somewhere else, please find your home church and celebrate all that the Lord has done and accomplished what we now do in taking this bread and this cup together is no small thing. God, we thank you for your body and your blood, body broken, blood spilled, that we might now lift our voices and worship you. Church, why don't you stand with me? We're going to sing as we sing at your own time. As you're alone with the Lord, you thank him for these elements. You take them at your own time. Let's worship our God. the throne of God.